Hello Manchester United fans, welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast with me, Sam Hutchison. Today I'm joined by Tyrone Marshall. How are we Tyrone? I'm good, thank you Sam, I'm good. I was looking forward to a quiet international break until last night. Yes, obviously there is lots to talk about for Manchester United, even in this international break. It seems non-stop at the minute. Man United news, just one day, one normal day of Manchester United we would love. However, obviously... Arsenal beat Man United 3-1 thanks to goals from Odegaard, Rice and Gabriel Jesus. Rashford scored for United. What is your verdict on that game? Um, I thought they played okay. Um, I'm not sure they deserved to win as, as Ten Hag claimed yesterday. I think Arsenal were the better side. Um, but a, you know, a draw wouldn't have been an unfair result. It was better than it has been from United. There was a bit more control. Um, I thought it was interesting that Ten Hag said that Arsenal couldn't press them. It, it felt like Arsenal didn't want to press. Whether that's something United were doing, I don't know, but it did feel like Arsenal were kind of letting United have the ball. And, you know, they, United had a lot of possession, but it was possession that went nowhere a lot of the time. And it was it was controlled by just passing it along the defence, giving it to Casemiro, passing back along the defence. The first real attack of note was was when they scored, probably. Um, so, it, you know, it, th- there was more promising signs, I think, they looked better on the counter-attack second half, certainly the last 20, 25 minutes. They really grew into it. Um, but it was mostly a back foot performance, I would say. The, the control they had was, you know, defensive, negative control. There were times where Arsenal turned it up. I think they're unfortunate to lose 3-1. They, they could have easily had a draw. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think Arsenal were probably marginally the better team in that game. Yeah, that was my verdict. Uh, they probably played for a draw. The problem with playing for a draw is you're always susceptible to losing by one goal. And then it ended up being two with that late on Gabriel Jesus that really finalised it. This is my in-person podcast debut. Rasmus Hoyland's debut was also last night. What do you think of him? I thought it was quite an impressive cameo appearance, sort of. Yeah, definitely. I thought... it. He kind of showed two of the, the traits that Ten Hag said on um, in his press conference. He did the Sunday section of his press conference on Friday. And there was a lot about Hoyland, and he, he was asked at one point about you know what's his his attributes and characteristics, and he was just like he's brave, and that was it. And you know I asked him about the pressure of leading the line for Man United, and, and he was talking about his personality, and you could kind of see both of those in a way. And the, the way he came onto the pitch immediately picked on Gabriel and, and looked for a you know a battle and a fight with Gabriel. There were promising signs from him, certainly. He looks very quick. I thought his hold-up play was really good. Um, you know, his involvement in Garnacho's goal slash non-goal was was very good. His, his hold-up play, his ability to then lay the ball off. You know, I think there were definitely promising signs. You can still see he's a bit raw. There was one point where I think Rashford was breaking through and Hoyland sprinted to catch up with him, but it was kind of... You know, it was kind of just sprinting without really ever putting himself in a position to get the ball. You know, I think it was one of those where he needs to slow his run almost and look for the space rather than just going full pulse. Um, but you'd expect that from someone of, of that age. There's, there's going to be rawness. You know, he's a he's a rough diamond that that United no need polishing. So you're going to get that that aspect. But you know, his his cameo compared to what we see from Martial at the moment, I think it shows that he's going to bring a lot more energy to the team, a lot more. Um, speed, dynamism, and there's definitely, you know, there's definitely things to work there for. It was, it was promising start for sure. And one of the other substitutions in Alejandro Garnacho obviously had that goal chalked off. 
what are your thoughts on this sort of VAR controversy, refereeing controversy that Ten Hag brought light to in his press conference? He said there was a lot of decisions that where he thought were wrong. Mikel Arteta will probably say the exact opposite, as is the way of football. But what are your sort of verdicts on the Garnacho offside? Do you think it was offside? Because the angle on the telly was not that fantastic to be able to see if the lines were straight at the very least. No, it wasn't. But I think you know we've seen enough of these now to know that the Premier League have got the technology to to, to draw the lines correctly. Otherwise, it wouldn't still be used. You know, I think the whole Ten Hag's Ten Hag lost a lot of um, what's the right word? Like his arguments lost a lot of weight by basically listing five marginal decisions and saying they should all have gone in United's way. I mean, that's clearly not the case. It's it, you know it sound if it had picked one or two, maybe it'd have an argument. But it just it, you know it it sounded borderline bitter at the end that he was basically saying this went against us, this went against us. You know the Hoyland penalty is is just not not a penalty in a million years. Um, and, and you, you know you, you can't have that. That's a penalty, and Havertz is isn't. Um, you know it, it's just not realistic that every single borderline decision went for United. I'm sure Arsenal would look at um, Arteta's foul first half. Uh, not Arteta, that, that would be quite a story. Um, Lindelof's foul on Enketia first half, which was pretty rash. And, you know, it, it, in terms of the position on the field, he got away with it because there was a covering defender. But, you know, his foot was up near his chest anyway, to be honest. And you could easily, Arsenal could easily say more could have been made of that. So, you know, I don't think you can look at all of those decisions as a manager and say they should have all gone our way because people will just laugh at it, which is what they have been doing. You, you pick the, the one or two that are, are most clear and you know, I, I don't think the whole lines thing has got any basis in arguments at all we've we've seen countless times where the angles aren't great it, it's impossible that you're going to have an angle directly across the line for every offside there's just not that many cameras but the system's been tested enough to know that it works and it was marginally offside and there's no way you can look at it without lines and say it's 100% onside it's just not not possible so um so yeah he was clearly very annoyed about things but I, I just I don't you know I don't see an argument where you can say all of those decisions are unfair and some of the decisions went for United the the penalty is you know it, it, it's not a penalty but I, I would imagine there's a good number of VAR officials who would have let it go had it been given it's not you know it's not a clear and obvious mistake it's it is one of those I think where the contact is probably initiated by Havertz but there is contact and and we've seen them you know we've seen them given and United got a, I wouldn't say an entirely similar one, but not too dissimilar last week. There wasn't a lot of contact with Rashford and Rashford didn't initiate that contact, to be fair. It was different in that regard, but you know there wasn't loads of contact in, in that instance and it was a penalty and it still stood. Um, so the, And then the, the last one, the Johnny Evans one, yeah, again, had it been given as a foul, I don't think it would have been overruled, but... Once it was allowed to play on, I don't think there was enough in it. I, you know, I couldn't really see an obvious shirt pull, and a lot of it was—I um, can't remember who it was. Now was it Gabriel? Just, just blocking basically, which people do on corners. And if you don't change your run, which he didn't, it's you know, it's 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 considered fair game. I think if he moves into the way of Evans, then it then it's a problem. But he was kind of probably pretending to compete for the ball, but you know, he didn't really move his body in the way, and, and Evans just got blocked. The bigger issue for that is that Declan Rice is completely free on the back post and it happened in the first half as well. There was a corner in the first half where Nketiah had so much room on the back post, he could control the ball like eight yards out from goal on the back post because no one was marking him. So you've had two identical corners 
where there's a dangerous player free eight yards out from goal at the back post. I mean, it's ridiculous that that can happen and you've not learned your lesson and picked them up. So the, the, you know, the argument for a foul on Johnny Evans is a, a convenient smokescreen for me because it was just bad defending um, and they got away with one in the first half and to get away with one and get a warning and then concede from exactly the same scenario in the 96th minute is just poor, weak defending and, and people not making decisions. Yeah, and I mean, talking of weak defending, Johnny Evans made his re-debut for Manchester United. We saw a defensive partnership of Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans to end out the game. I think lots of Manchester United fans hoped those days were over of Harry Maguire next to an older defender like Johnny Evans. What's your sort of verdict on Harry Maguire's future at the club? Because he's clearly going to be here until at least January. He wants to fight for his place. He's said that multiple times. Do you think now with the injuries mounting up especially, do you think Harry Maguire's really got, what's he got to do to make sure he is back in Eric Ten Hag's thinking for the start more than? Uh, I, I mean, I suppose his first battle is to get ahead of Lindelof, really, um, which I think he was for a lot of last season, but clearly ended it behind him and is, is still behind him. Um, maybe he'll get a chance with these injuries. It's, it's not clear at the moment how bad they are. I don't think it's been decided yet whether Lindelof and Martinez will go on international duty. So maybe that will present a chance. We know Varane's probably going to be out for a few more weeks. You know, it, it, it was ending the game with your fourth and fifth choice centre-halves, clearly not ideal. There was clearly a lot of bad luck involved in it as well. It was a, a difficult return for Johnny Evans. I think it's fair to say he had his moments against Jesus, but then he was injured a lot last season. He's not played a lot recently. He is easing his way back in and at 35 he wouldn't you wouldn't expect a fifth choice centre back to be involved in games away at Arsenal. It's just just misfortune. But it it does kind of sum up the way it feels like things are going for United at the moment that, you know, they do end up with Leicester's 2018-19 defence in 2023 away at Arsenal. Um I mean as for Maguire, he's gonna have to show a lot of character. He, I've said it before, but it's like he's become a pantomime villain for the entire country. It's really, really weird, I think. And I think it's, you know, I think it's really unfair on him, some of the treatments. I mean, Arsenal fans cheered when he came on and were singing his name yesterday. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, and at that point, part of me was thinking, I hope he scores the winner here because it's just, it's so, so weird. And, you know, he's not, he's not that bad a player that he's being treated as some kind of comedy act by, by opposition fans. And, for them to be cheering on the pitch, I just thought it was very weird, a very weird thing to do for a fan, for a fan base to do. And, you know, there's absolutely no chance, you know, fans of United or Liverpool or something like that would cheer an opposition player on, no matter what the situation is. It didn't reflect well on Arsenal's fans at all for me. It was just an odd thing to do. But he seems to get that everywhere he goes at the moment. Um, he gets it with England, even though he's always been very reliable for England. We've seen him, you know, me and Samuel have been on the last two tours and he was booed in Australia and booed in America by presumably mostly United fans. It, it is really strange how he's just become this pantomime villain and, you know, on, on a personal level, it's not fair on him. He's not done anything to deserve that. Um, but that, you know, that, that's going to make it even harder for him to come in and, and win his place back. And, you know, he, he does want to fight for his place. He wants to stay. Fair play to him for that. Um Purely because of what's happening and that sort of thing, it does feel like he needs a fresh start. He needs, you know, to try and rebuild somewhere else where he is first choice now, where he can play every week and where there's a little bit less pressure and responsibility. You know, most United games are, are on telly. Um, they're always big on match of the day. You know, it's, 
if you're playing for, if they'd gone for West Ham, say, then one in four of their games might be on telly. They might get two minutes analysis on match of the day. United, most games are on telly. They get more analysis on match of the day. You, you can't have a bad game and Maguire's had too many, unfortunately, which is why this is, has come about. But, you know, I do, I do feel sorry for him as well because things like yesterday are just playing weird, basically. And it's hard to know, really know what he's done to, to deserve that. Yeah, I mean... There was supportive chanting of him as well for the United end that you could hear on the telly, but it was strange to hear him cheered on by the opposition fans in such a big game when the scores are level, obviously. On to the positives from that game. I did think Rashford was quite impressive off the left. He moved to the right and he didn't really get involved from the right, but from the left I thought he was quite impressive. And Andre Onana just looks so comfortable, confident in so, well, he was moving into sort of a third centre-half role at times, playing the ball to either flank. He hits it long. He seems more than capable. And he seems like a massive upgrade on David De Gea, which we'll get on to in a minute. The Sancho situation is the next sort of massive topic. Eric Zenarg obviously went after Sancho in his press conference, said, you know, he's, he's, not, he's been absent in training. He's basically saying he's not been good enough in training to be warranting even a place on the bench for Manchester United. How disappointing is that to see from both sides, really? I mean, Ten Hag has obviously said it for a reason. Um, you know, it's, things like this occasionally, they will be covered up or it will be, you know, he's, he's injured or ill. But Ten Hag has, has obviously reached a point where he feels this is the 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 best option the the nuclear option arguably to say he doesn't he doesn't deserve I mean the fact that you've got a seventy three million pound winger who's not training well enough to be in a twenty man match day squad is unbelievable really um, and it's it's not a surprise because he's not been playing well enough he's played eighty two games for United you can count the number of good ones certainly on two hands possibly on on one hand he's been a huge disappointment um, his performances cut him no slack whatsoever. Um, it, it's not the first time it's been an issue like this. There's been concerns in England before that his training performances haven't been consistent enough, haven't always been at a high enough level. So the fact it's reached this is surprising, given that you know Sancho uh, Ten Hag gave him three months off last year to sort what what Ten Hag described as physical and mental issues. Sancho came back and, and played quite well for a couple of weeks, and Ten Hag's handling of him got a lot of praise at that time and. I was reading back over the, the quotes this morning because I remember it coming up in a press conference a few days, about, it was about two weeks after he'd returned and he was basically talking about how you, you, know, you, you do what you can for a player and you protect a player. Um, and you know, there, there was a quote in there about, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but about protecting a player and looking after the player. Um, and the fact he's now gone public with the fact he's not training well enough shows how things have changed. Um, Sancho's response was absolutely incredible. Um, uh, uh, you know, United were very unclear last night on on whether he would now face disciplinary action on, on how it would go, but he, he, he's basically gone on social media to question the integrity of the manager. Um, you know, the last person to do that was at the club within a few weeks. It's, you know, it, it's in the same ballpark as, as Ronaldo, I would say. It's not as incendiary, it's not as pre-planned as Ronaldo's was with Piers Morgan. You know, that was self-serving from Ronaldo. A lot of the stuff he said to Piers Morgan was either a lie or, or a half-truth at best. And it was served just purely to, to get him out of the club and to, to take some people down with him and, and you know, 
get get some things off his chest. I think Sancho's, you know, Sancho's social media post was an hour after Ten Hag had said his comments, and I think that you know it was clearly impulsive and heartfelt and with a good degree of frustration. But it's still in the, a, a similar ballpark to to what Ronaldo did. You know, Ronaldo questioned the integrity of United's comments about him, about why what Ten Hag was, how Ten Hag was treating him. The, you know, Sancho's done exactly the same. He's questioned how Ten Hag's treating him. He's accused the manager of making him a scapegoat for for something. We're not really sure what. Um, so I would be surprised if it passes without action. I can't see how it can possibly pass without action. Um, I would think Sancho would be in early this week. Obviously, he's a million miles away from playing international football at the moment. So, you know, whether there's face-to-face talks, clear the air talks to be had, I don't know. The Saudi Arabian transfer window's open for another four days. Um, I think it's pretty unlikely anything happens there, but I'm sure there's probably clubs in Saudi Arabia who saw that last night and thought, mm, let's, we'll, we'll give it a go. We'll see. You know, we'll see if there's... Because there there's, is a player in there somewhere. There's a player in there somewhere and, you know, maybe, maybe he'll play well in Saudi Arabia because he's not played well in England. Um, it is, you know, the, the it's it just a, a talent totally unfulfilled at the moment. Um, he was so good in the Bundesliga. He, I think he, he ended his time in Germany averaging exactly one goal or assist every game. At United, he's played 82 games, scored 12 goals and got six assists. It's, you know, it's a goal or assist one in every four games, I think. And he's influenced so few games when he plays. He's, he, he wants to play on the left wing. Ten Hag thinks his best position is on the left wing, I think. And he's behind Rashford and he's behind Garnacho and the road back from here feels like a long one after what he posted on, on social media last night. Obviously, pre-season, he does play quite well. We've seen uh, yeah. we've seen him play some... And we, I mean, Man United, previously, we've had Andreas Pereira, the pre-season yeah, yeah, Zidane. And yeah. He started we, to play well in the season. Exactly. Now, he's, someone else. He's, yeah, well, yeah, he started playing well as a number eight yeah. halfway down the league. But do you think we're at risk of seeing that with Jaden Sancho? You know, he is just not hitting the ground at all really at Man United it's not been he's not had a good season at United yet we've not really seen that many games like you say you could probably count his good performances on two hands but Manchester United fans that brings part one to an end keep keep it locked until part two in just a minute So, Manchester United fans, welcome back to part two. In part two, we are going to discuss the summer transfer window. Now it has ended and go through every single incoming transfer to Manchester United and what we f- sort of think about it. Ty, we'll start in goal. Andre Nana, we've touched on him in the first part there. What do you think about this signing? Because I am a massive fan of Andre Nana and I was before he signed for Manchester United, but since he's joined, I've just been... Really impressed by his form. Yeah, I think he's been he's been the best signing so far. I think um, probably not faced a lot of competition for that, but he's he's looked good. His distributions a different level. He's allowing the team to to play out from the back to to play this higher line. Um, I think there's a lot to like there. United are conceding a lot of goals at the moment. Um, seven in three now. I think that's clearly a concern. I wouldn't really pin any of that on Anana. Maybe he could have done more for Forrest first last week, but beyond that, I don't really think he's he's to blame for for any of them. Um, and against Arsenal, he was, you know, he, he looked the most likely person to actually break a line and find a pass into a midfielder. 
spoke in the first half about how useless a lot of United's possession was um, and it was an honour that looked most likely to actually find a good forward pass. Um, so yeah, I think you know he's a clear upgrade on, on De Gea um, stylistically more than anything in terms of this team and what this team wants to do. So yeah, I think you'd have to say it's it's looking a very good sign indeed. The issue is going to be that he was signed on the premise that he was retired from international football. Now it's the first international break and he's not retired from international football. Um, Cameroon have got Burundi at some point this week, I think. And if they win, they qualify for the African Cup of Nations. That's four to six weeks in January where United are going to be without Anana and it's going to be Altai Biinder or Tom Heaton in goal. They clearly didn't expect that. Um, Ten Hag was asked about it on Friday at his press conference and I thought his response was... Well, it was it was hard to decipher because he didn't really give a response. It was it, it was asked if he was aware of the situation and he, he said something like, I'm completely aware of it or something. And just being in the room and looking at his body language, I thought he didn't he didn't look happy. Um, you know, like you say, they've, they've signed a player who presumably during negotiations has said, I'm done. You know, I'm I'm not part of the international setup anymore. Now they're going to lose the first choice goalkeeper for a good chunk of um, of January, maybe February. I'm not sure when the final is. Um, so yeah, I, I thought reading between the lines, which is what we had to do, given Ten Hag's answer, I got the impression he wasn't happy at the possibility of of Anana coming out of retirement, which it, it was only a possibility last week. He's been on social media this morning and has said he is coming back. So um, so yeah, I think that is a problem clearly a problem for United that they're going to lose him um, for, for a good chunk of the season. I don't know how many Premier League games it'll be, but it's it's less than ideal. And you touched on him there, Altai Bay India. I don't know if we're going for Altai or Altai yet. We haven't seen an interview with him in a Man United shirt yet, so we don't actually know how his name is pronounced according to him. But it seems like he's come in as a number two goalkeeper. Relatively cheap nowadays in today's market. You know, it looks like a £5 million fee. What do you think of him? Have you seen anything of him at Fenerbahce? Have you seen, well, I mean, you'll, you've seen European games of him at Fenerbahce, but what do you think of him? What do you think he'll bring to Man United? And what do you think he is probably second choice ahead of Tom Heaton? I don't know, to be honest. I thought Tom Heaton did really well in, in pre-season. Um, and like you say, the, the fee was so cheap. Five million euros, like 4.2, 4.3 million pound. Um, I, I can't, I'll, I'll be honest, I can't say I've ever seen him um, play. So... It's difficult to to judge. Um, United has said they've been scouting him for a long time. He, you know, he's only twenty five. I think he's played five or six games for Turkey. He's been Fenerbahce's number one for quite a while, but um, you know, it's going to be difficult to judge until we see him play, really. But it's you know, the, I think the key word in your assessment there was cheap. Um, you know, by the end of the window, United were were desperate again, shopping in in bargain basements and. They sold Dean Henderson for 15 million and 5 million in add-ons, but I've been told they used that fee to, to sign Sofian Amrabat. Um, so they just didn't have the money to sign another goal, a goalkeeper beyond sort of 5 million euro price tag. Um, so Bayenda fits the bell because he had a release clause in his contract. You, you'd think he's probably going to be number two, I, I guess. I, I would guess we'll see against Crystal Palace in the League Cup. I'd be surprised if Anana starts that game. It's, it's probably Bayenda. Um, Henderson, uh, Heaton's got a calf injury at the moment, so I don't know if he'll be back by then. And then we're, we're going to have presumably this this spell in January where one of them's going to need to be number one for a good chunk. So so we will see. It's you know it, it's a big step up still from Fenerbahce to to United. Um, but yeah, I think the um, 
the overwhelming condition of that deal is is the fact that it was cheap and United just didn't sell enough players in the summer. And that's why by the end on deadline day, they were they were in a pretty desperate situation having to sign a player, Ten Hag's wanted or somewhere on, on loan, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, that seems to be the key word of the summer, cheap. Regilon and Evans both joined for a season on deadline day. What do you think of, we can sort of band them together? Regilon and Evans, both cheap, both pretty much going to be backup options for the entire season. Regilon on loan and Evans on this one-year contract. Evans made his debut. We haven't seen Regilon in a United shirt yet. What can we expect from Regilon? Do you think he'll be this sort of... Do you think he'll be Man United's first choice left-back until at least Luke Shaw comes back? I think he will be until Shaw comes back. Um, I, I thought Dallow played pretty well, actually, against Arsenal. Um, he handled Saka really well, which... No credit to him because he, he struggled the week before against Forrest. Um, but I would think Regulion will get in the team. He, he probably needs match fitness. I don't think he'd have played much in pre-season. He was clearly on the way out at, at Tottenham. Um, it was a, a cheaper deal to do than, than Cucurella. Um, I think Cucurella would have been the better option, but there's probably not a, not a load in it. But... I think Regulian's had a couple of seasons now where he's he's struggled. He's fallen out of favour pretty quickly at Tottenham, but he's a uh, you know he's a Premier League left back. He knows the Premier League. It's hard to be too critical of the signing, really, when United were presented with a week to sign a left back, given Shaw and Malassia's injuries, and they've got someone with Premier League experience. So it's hard to be too critical, really. Evans again, I'd, you know, I'd, like we say, it was difficult for him at Arsenal yesterday, but. I don't think it's a bad signing to have a fifth-choice centre-back there. It's probably always wise to have a fifth-choice centre-back. We saw with Liverpool last a couple of years ago how quickly things can unravel with, with centre-back injuries and it's happened to United already, the fact he's playing. Um, the, the injuries all look a lot less serious than happened with, with Liverpool, so I can't imagine Evans is going to be needed for long, but he's, you know, he's, he's a really good professional, um, a really good character. And I think he, you know, I think he will add something to to the group in terms of experience. And he is, you know, if he does get some games, he is reliable. I do still think he's a good defender. I, I think there's an argument United signed the wrong Leicester centre back in 2018-19. Evans was at the top of his game then, um, and he's, you know, he's a really good passer as well. I think it's an underrated part of his game is his ability to pass out from the back, and that obviously suits Ten Hag. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, I don't mind that signing at all. And someone else who's an underrated passer seems to be Sofian Amrabat. I was looking at his stats the other day and his passing stats are out of this world good compared to other players in Europe's top five leagues. What's he been brought in as? Is it a passer? Is it a destroyer? Is it back up for Casemiro? Is he going to play alongside Casemiro? What do you think of this signing? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I guess possibly a bit of all of that, maybe. He adds depth to the midfield. His passing stats are very good. Um, but it can be easy to have very good passing stats if you're just giving it five yards back to your centre-back or to another midfielder. And I think there's been a degree of that at Fiorentina with, with Amrabat. He was exceptional in the World Cup. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't be going overboard with his World Cup performances. Um, you know, I know someone at United who, who was questioning how much you read into Morocco's World Cup performances back in December. Um, and, and now they've signed someone from that league. Naif Aguerd looked the best, one of the best centre-backs in the world for Morocco. Yes. He doesn't look like that for West Ham. No. Hakim Ziyech looked phenomenal. He doesn't look like that for Chelsea. Hakimi looked like that. doesn't look like that for PSG. Yeah, exactly. so. And, you know, there's a long history of players being signed on the back of World Cup performances. Cleberson, 
um, Elaz Juf, Salif Jiao. I'm sure there's others that are signed after good World Cups and then and then don't look great. But Tanag knows what he's getting with Amrabat. He played 50 times for him at Utrecht. Um, you know, he's he's clearly a very aggressive, very competitive player, and I think that midfield needs a bit of that at the moment. It needs a bit of physicality and a bit of steel. Um, so yeah, I uh, you know I, I think it's a decent signing. I think the way it's been done doesn't you know it's, it's not great for for United that they've had to basically pay a 10 million euro loan fee. If they sign him, it's going to end up costing them 35 million euros. I, th- I think they could probably have got him for cheaper if they could have afforded a permanent deal, but they couldn't. Um, so that's that's not ideal. But you know, he's a player the manager wants, um, and it'll be interesting to see if he can live up to those Morocco performances because he was, you know, he was excellent in the World Cup. And another midfield signing, Mason Mount, injured against, well, injured in recent weeks. Ericsson's been actually really good in the central midfield role that Mount vacated with his injury. What do we think of the Mason Mount signing? Because I've seen a lot of scrutiny on online of Mason Mount signing, saying he's not really the right profile for an Eric Ten Hag midfield. What are your thoughts on it? I, I was a big fan when I saw it, but since then, I haven't been that impressed by Mason Mount. He didn't impress me on pre-season. He hasn't really impressed me in the Premier League so far. What do you sort of think about that? I mean, I would agree with that. I, I've not been overly impressed by, by what I've seen so far. I do think it's too early to judge. Um, you know, I, I think he probably is a good fit for a Ten Hag midfield. Ten Hag loved what he saw of him when he was at Vitesse in 2017-18 to the point that he tried to sign him for Ajax the year after. Um, I, I, you know, I wrote a piece for Friday or Saturday, I can't remember now, Saturday, I think, comparing Mount and Havertz. And I think, you know, they've both made slow starts, but I think they're probably in a similar boat in that they've obviously had their confidence sapped at Chelsea and they've not really been signed on what they did at, at Chelsea. Mount, Ten Hag wants the Mount of Vitesse in 2017-18 where he played in central midfield. He barely played there for Chelsea. He played in the front three or he played a very attacking midfield role. So he's basically, he's almost having to recalibrate his game back to being a midfield and a, and a linker. You know, he's playing deeper than Fernandes. He, he did that very well for Vitesse, but has barely done it for Chelsea. So it's probably understandable that it's taken him time. Um, same with Havertz. He, he played as a false nine, really, or a number nine for, for Chelsea or occasionally on the wing. Arteta is, is basically signed the Bayer Leverkusen version of Havertz to play as a, a number eight. And it's understandable he's going to take time to, to get used to that. So, you know, I think there's similarities between those two. And you can see where they've made slow starts. Um, you know, Mount, Mount played two, well, one and three quarters of a competitive game and got injured in the second one. So I wouldn't be judging him yet. You know, I, I completely agree that he's underwhelmed so far. But I do think there's more to come. And there's, there's definitely extenuating circumstances as to why it's, it's taken him some time to, to get used to that. Because it's a role he, he didn't really fulfil for Chelsea. And then the position with the most scrutiny in any side, Rasmus Hoyland has a lot of pressure on him, partially because his name starts with a H and he's from Scandinavia, but Rasmus Hoyland, we saw his debut against Arsenal. What do we think about that signing? Because I am actually a massive fan. I don't think he'll hit the ground running like Haaland did, but I do think he's just what Man United need. And especially in this sort of rebuild, he, in a couple of years' time, he might be this... 25 goals a season striker, which is really what Man United have been crying out for for years. It is, yeah, it is. I mean, the issue there is a couple of years' time. Um, you know, they, they, they probably need someone to be getting 25 goals now 
if you'd say what's a good season for Hoyland this year, you'd probably say 15. Um, that'll be a good season for Hoyland, but probably not a good season for United. Um, you know, I, I can see why they've gone for him rather than Kane. I, I said a few times on this podcast last year that the age profile of the squad was a concern. Last year, when you had De Gea as the keeper, Varane, centre-back, the midfield last year was Casemiro, Eriksen and Fernandez, two 31-year-olds, and Fernandez turns 29 this month. If you'd have then signed Kane as the striker, that's you know that looked like a team that had to win the league in the next two years. Otherwise, the, the whole thing was a failure. This year, they've reduced the age of that. They've signed a striker who's 20, a midfielder who's 24, I think, goalkeeper who's 27. Um, Amrabat is 27, I think. Yeah, so they they have you know they they've dealt with that a lot. There's there's more growth in this team now than there probably was last season. Um, but yeah, I think Hoyland. I, I'm intrigued to see how he gets on. I, I do think he's he's raw and, and a bit of a rough. You know, I think you know, I described him as a rough diamond that, that needs Ten Hag to to polish him. And I, I, it probably needs to happen quite quickly because the the goals are the issue for this team, like you say. Um, I don't think there's much hope of, of Martial being a 20-goal-a-season striker ever again. Um, Rashford was very good yesterday, took his goal well. Will he get 30 again? Uh, I would say it. I wouldn't rule out entirely, but I'd say it's probably unlikely. So, you know, they need Hoyland to, to contribute. And maybe in a couple of years, he will be the 25-goal-a-season striker. But by then, you'll have Casemiro will be 33 and you might need another defensive midfielder. So you need, you know, you need all the components and parts of your team to be peaking at the right time and, if that happens, maybe it, you know, maybe it won't be the case. If Hoyland's peaking two, three years down the line, then other players might be on on the decline. Um, but yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how it gets on. And like you said, there, there was a lot to like about his performance yesterday. And I actually, I came away from that press conference on Friday, kind of intrigued and excited by what Ten Hag had said because you usually get, um, you know, usually get manager comments about what a player can do on the pitch and stuff like that. To hear him saying like he's brave and his personality and stuff. It was like, okay, that's quite interesting, quite different. And yeah, I thought you could see, in a way you could see bits of that in his performance against Arsenal. And put you under pressure here, favourite bit of business this summer. Do you think any of those signings you would put in a category of their own of that is absolutely a fantastic deal, fantastic player? Um, probably Anana at the moment, I think. I think the... The goalkeeping department is the one you'd look at and say that's been pretty successful this summer. I mean, if you take the signings of Anana and Bayenda and the sales of Henderson and Kovar um, and whatever they got for, for, I mean, they probably didn't get much for Andres Mastny, but Nathan Bishop going to Sunderland, you know, I think it's a net spending goal of, of £25 million plus the saving on De Gea's 375 grand a week wages. I think that's pretty good business. Um, you know, I think for spending £25 million, you've, you've certainly improved the department there. Um, you, you know, you, you've got rid of a high earner and, and upgraded on him. You've got rid of a kind of a problem, I guess, in Henderson and somebody who didn't want to be a number two and is too good to be a number two, really. Um, and now you've, you know, you've got a bit more clear structure to it. You made good money on Kovar. Um, two 23-year-olds in, in Kovar and Bishop have gone who probably needed to go, so... So yeah, I think overall what's what's happened with the goalkeeping department for a net spend of about 25 million is pretty successful. And we'll talk about sales in part three. So join us in a second for part three.
Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. This is part three and we're going to be assessing some of sales this part. There are some big names, big characters that have left the club. There are also a lot of youth players that have left the club. Dean Henderson, we touched on him there, left the club. It's probably, it's a bit of a shame that he's left under this sort of cloud. He's a boyhood Man United fan. He's always wanted to be Manchester United number one. And he always had the potential to be Manchester United number one. It never really quite worked out for him. Timings, injuries, manager changes have always sort of got in his way at Man United. And he's now left to Crystal Palace to restart his career and be a Premier League number one and hopefully get back into the England squad. What do we think about that sale? Do you think it's a good deal for United? Um, I don't think it's a brilliant deal. Um, you know, I think he's worth more than that. I think he was worth more than that two years ago and, and probably last year. Um, if he could very easily get into the Palace team and be England's number two, um, certainly be in, in the England squad for the Euros. Um, you know, I think it's a 25, 30 million pound keeper in there, but it, it's kind of been presented as needs must for United. So I don't think they've got maximum value out of Henderson's sale. Um, I think there's a good degree of misfortune about what's happened to him at United. It's, you know, we've, we've reported numerous times now about how he was penciled in to start 2021-22 as first choice. Him and De Gea had kind of job shared the year before. Henderson was was going to get that gig at the start of that season. Um, I think there was a view that De Gea would be sold or loaned out. Tom Eaton had come back to the club and, and had been told he was coming back as a, a number two. Um, and it, it didn't work out, mostly because Henderson got COVID and, and really struggled to recover from it. And that was partly his misfortune. The other part was that De Gea started that season brilliantly. And as much as, as Solskjaer might have said to Henderson, you're my keeper, it's very hard to drop De Gea once he started that season so well. So, you know, I think there was that that was very unfortunate for him. And, and it had obviously reached the point now where he, he had to be sold last, really. His his interview last year with, um, with TalkSport, I think it was, you know, I don't think it would have gone down brilliantly at United. Um, it did speak of his confidence probably a fine line between confidence and ego was clearly very confident saying I didn't even want to train under the new manager in case he saw how good I was basically um that you know that is that is Dean Henderson to a T really um but yeah I don't think it's a great deal I mean City City got exactly the same fee for a guy who's played in League One for Bolton yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah City got yeah yeah, played for England for the same fee. I don't know. You know I don't know if it reflects brilliantly on. Uh, it reflects very well on City's ability to sell, and very poorly on United's. And you know, City got twelve million pounds for Gavin Bazunu last year, who had never played for them either. Um, so yeah, I think you know, you know, Henderson really you'd have had in the probably the twenty-five million pound bracket, but United were were just desperate for cash by the end of it, really, and they probably waited too long to sell him. And the next expensive sale, Anthony Alanga, has actually been really good for Nottingham Forest since signing form that we didn't really see since the early days of Ranić at United that's probably an amicable sort of separation there it was probably his time was up at Man United and now he's moved on and he's doing really well for Forest again yeah he does seem to be doing really well um, you know, I think it was the right move the right time to sell I don't think he was ever quite good enough for, for United um, you know I've said previously that I think he he really benefited from the the chaos of that 2021-22 season. Um, you know, every single player underperformed, really. There was nothing for Vans to cheer about. 
and Tola Langer came on the scene. He got a great song, which always helps, um, and scored that goal at Atletico Madrid. And he was kind of this breath of fresh air in a pretty toxic season. Um, Ranić clearly liked him and probably didn't like most of the other players. Um, so, you know, I think he, he benefited from circumstances in that season. Fair play, he took his chance, um, which, which might not have materialised because he was due to go out on loan um, until Ranić came in. So if it hadn't been Ranić, maybe things would have turned out differently. But he did take his chance. And, you know, I don't think he was ever good enough for United. I think he's probably behind Ahmad and Palestri now in terms of young wingers. So I don't think there'd have been any options for him. But he has looked pretty good at Forest. So, you know, fair, fair play to him for that. And it is good to see him making an impact. And we saw Altair Bendia join from Fenerbahce. We saw Fred go the other way. I saw a lot of questions on social media following the Arsenal game. Should Man United have sold Fred? You know, would he still be having a, a role to play at the very least in this squad? What are your sort of thoughts on that? Because it's a strange one. It wasn't sold for lots and lots of money. You know, Man United made a pretty considerable loss on him. However, he wasn't up to the United standard. He wasn't particularly a fan favourite. Obviously, there's the McFred nickname for the McTominay and Fred duo. Where do we sort of sit on this? Because... I do think Fred probably could have played a role this season, but it's probably the perfect time for him to move on in the middle of this Ten Hag rebuild, really. Yeah, I, I, I do. Th I mean, I, you know, I was at the Tottenham game and I remember midway through the second half of that, or maybe even earlier. No, I think it was probably midway through the second half because they played well for 35 minutes, didn't they? But looking at it, thinking this game is crying out for Fred. Um, just someone who can be a bit of a disruptor. I think probably Amrabat can play that role now. So I think maybe it'll be less of an issue, but you know, you can see the argument. And, and like I've said, that midfield isn't physical enough for me at times, even with it, you know, with Ericsson in there, probably even more Ericsson than Mount. The, it, it, it's, it's a nice midfield. It's maybe not a nasty midfield. Um, Casemiro can do that, but I think, you, you know, you want someone else in there maybe. And Fred is, you know, he's, he's not a dirty player, but he's, you know, he's got a lot of energy. He's, he can put pressure on opponents and it just, it feels like he does just disrupt games. He stops the flow of games. Um, as a midfielder on the ball, he was never good enough for United. His passing was hugely inconsistent. Um, you know, I think he's, he's done all right. He did okay at, at Old Trafford. He's, he's not, you know, he's not going to be remembered um, as a great or anything, but I think he did okay. I, I think he deserves credit for the way he did step up after a pretty horrendous first season. That would have broken certainly lesser players than than Fred. Um, and he did really improve after that and had some good moments. Um, you know, I, I can certainly see the argument that games against Tottenham and Arsenal had probably been an ideal sub, actually, in those two away defeats. Um, going forward, they've probably got Amrabat who can fulfil that role. It might be less of an issue. But, but yeah, I think those are probably two games where he might have actually been been quite handy. Yeah, it's just, you never know what you've got until it's gone, exactly, do you? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Alex Tellers, sort of carrying on from that. Man United found themselves left backless on deadline day. Alex Tellers left much earlier in the transfer window. And, you know, he spent last season on loan at Sevilla, didn't really do much at Sevilla. He's now gone to Al Nasir to join Cristiano Ronaldo and Sadio Mane. And for a very small fee, less than five million, it's just, it's a strange one because when he was at Porto, it was sort of this, oh look, here's a really good left back who needs that next step up just never really happened for him at United, did it? No, it didn't. His best game was probably his first game um, at PSG. After that, it was a disappointment. It's been clear for 
two years now that the, the writing's on the wall for him. He, he wasn't good enough. Um, when Malassia came in, it was clear that that was Tellez done and dusted. Um, he's just not live, lived up to it. I mean, t- Saudi Arabia is has been beneficial in that regard. We might yet see Eric Bailly head that way as well. Somehow he's still at United, but him and, you know, I feel like him and Tellez have kind of come as a pair the last two years. They both went on loan last year to Sevilla and Marseille, and I think there was a hope that both clubs would buy him, but they didn't. Um, and yeah, Tellez had to go this year. It's it's not a great fee. And we, you know, we've, we're all, we're often critical of United's ability to sell players. I think it's, you know, it's, it's fair to say as well that you wouldn't expect them to make a profit on many players. They're not they're not a selling club. The only reason United are ever selling players is that someone's desperately pushing for a move or they've not they've not made it. And if they've not made it, you're not going to make a profit on them. Exactly, yeah. You, you, they've reached a point where, you know, I don't want to say outgrow a United, but they feel that they want something different like Real Madrid or Barcelona or something like that, like Ronaldo. Like I think everyone expects it's going to happen with Carnacho at some point soon. Um, so that's, you know, and, and if, if you're selling because they've not been good enough, like Tellers, you ain't going to make a profit. That's, you know, it's more a criticism of recruitment, arguably, than um, than ability to sell players um, in that case. But yeah, it was, it was clear he wasn't up to the task and, and that's a go. And one departure we saw on deadline day that many didn't expect or sort of knew was coming, but didn't really see coming. Mason Greenwood has gone to Getafe. His manager's had a lot to say in a press conference about how he's been signed for footballing reasons. What, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Just sort of, it's what need, was needed for all parties really, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And, you know, United had said that they, they wanted to let him go um, or rebuild his, his career away. I mean, I was surprised he got a move to, a, uh, you know, a... a a Western European club, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I think the the rea- you know I think there's going to be protests about it. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I'm astonished that Spanish club has signed him. To be honest, after what's happened in Spain in the last two weeks, um, and when the Getafe president, I think, was the first in the league to come out and say Rubiales should resign. Um, you know, for, for everything that's happened in Spain for the last two weeks, for then for a club to sign Mason Greenwood on on deadline day is is a surprising move. Um, I think we all expected it was going to be somewhere like Turkey or Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that rather than Spain or, or Italy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a chance for him to, to play kind of away from the spotlight. I guess they're a pretty small club in Spain, based in Madrid, but a pretty small club. They don't score many goals. You know, it's a, a decent opportunity to get back to playing and, and see where things go. Um, you know, United are getting a loan fee. United are paying the vast majority of his wages. I think it's a move that that suits. Um, you know, I, it came very late on deadline day and came out of nowhere. And I think the reasons for that, from a Getafe point of view, are pretty obvious. I think you know, I, I said last week that the way United handled Greenwood in the U-turn, I think probably put a lot of other clubs off because it showed what the backlash is going to be. And in Spain, we're probably going to see the backlash now. But it's it, you know, it's too late. He's signed now. And presumably he's going to play, although not for a while, obviously, because he's not played since January 2022. So, you know, for, for footballing, re, on, on a footballing point of view, it's, it's a decent move for him, a chance to, to rebuild and, and see what happens over the next 12 months. I'm surprised a club in Spain has signed him, given everything that's, that's going on there. Um, but, you know, they, they can point, you know, any club can point to the fact that there were no police charges. Um, you know, maybe fans in Spain and Getafe fans will be less kind of clued into the social media posts and everything that's that's gone on that we're aware of. Um, obviously, United's investigation said he didn't 
commit the offences to which he was charged. I think you know, I think United probably overstepped their their remit really in coming to that conclusion myself. Um, but but yeah, on a footballing point of view, once they'd said they wanted to get him a move, it, it's probably as good a move as, as they could have got him and, and a decent chance for him on a football point of view to, to see what happens over the next 12 months. Yeah, you mentioned Italy there. He looked like he was lined up for a move to Lazio. Italian transfer window closed at 6pm rather than the 11pm that we saw in England and the move never materialised. Lazio's president then came out and complained about Manchester United's dawdling over contract. It's a, it is a strange situation just entirely with Mason Greenwood. But... You know, United have also seen some free agents leave. Uh, well, players leave as free agents. David De Gea, Phil Jones are the two big names here. It was probably the time for them both to move on from the club, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think the De Gea one, we spoke months about it now, was hand, wasn't handled great, but you've got to say now it was the right call. Um, definitely. And Phil Jones, yeah, the, the same really. Um, you know, neither of those have got a new club yet. It'd be interesting to see where De Gea ends up. And you wonder if Phil Jones will end up anywhere. I don't think he's actually retired um, officially, but um, you know his his injury problems have been have been terrible, really. And again, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy with him. Really, I think it's very easy for fans. A lot of fans were very critical of Phil Jones. It's very easy to look at the salary and, and be critical, but as you know, as a footballer, you get one chance in your career, and his has been wrecked by injury. Really, um, you know, there's no there's no two ways about it. And even if he wasn't good enough for United and, and probably didn't deserve the four-year contract he got in 2019. He was still clearly good enough to, to have a career somewhere. You know, he, he was phenomenal at Blackburn. I was working in, in that area um, at that time, covering Burnley, actually. But he was, you know, the excitement around him at Blackburn was, was phenomenal. And I remember, I think it might be his debut when he played against Drogba and Mark Drogba out the game. And, you know, he was a real physical centre-back, great on the ball. And that was at 18. And you know we we all know Fergie's comments about Duncan Edwards. I think they were they were clearly ill advised and not helpful to Phil Jones. But I think it is a glimpse into how highly he was thought of as a young footballer, and not just by United, by lots of clubs in the Premier League. And it is you know it's I don't want to use the word tragedy, but it's it's a real shame for him the way it's the way it's ended up. And um, you know I think some of the some of the abuse on social media he gets and stuff like that is is totally uncalled for because. For for him, it must be very difficult to come to terms with the fact that you get one career and it's basically been been wrecked by injury. So we'll we'll see where he ends up if he ends up anywhere or or if he calls it a day. I think he's only thirty one, so it would be a real shame if he if he had to retire. Yeah, and we have seen a lot of youth players leave the club as well. You know, there's Kovar played a bit in preseason. You were on the preseason tour. You know a lot more about these players than I do. Uh, Kovar, Iqbal, Mengi. Of all left, you know, from the youth teams, you've got Mark Gerardo, Alvaro Fernandez, Nathan Bishop, who we mentioned earlier. There's a lot of players have left the club who, like you just said, Phil Jones were once. There was really high expectations of them. Are there any of these moves that could come back to like United? You know, there's, it looks like lots of these players have moved on at the same sort, well, the sort of right time again. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, you wouldn't say any of them are going to come back to, to haunt them. Um, they got good money for Kovar, who got a good move to, to, to Leverkusen, a really exciting Leverkusen team. They look like they could do really well this season. Um, but, you know, United have got decent decent keepers. Um, and I think you know, we're, we're seeing a pattern with the academy players that they get to kind of 
20. I would think all of those that are left are probably 20, 21. The two keepers are 23. Um, it, it's very much a case of Ten Hag looks at them, expects high standards, and if they're not there, off they go. They leave. Um, you know, he, he's been ruthless with that in terms of players he's sold. There was a lot of excitement about Ted Mengi not so long ago. He's been sold to Luton. A lot of excitement about Gerardo. He's been sold. Fernandez, I think, was only a loan in the end to Girona. Um you know, last year, Zidanek, Ballon and Charlie Savage played a lot in midfield. There was a lot of excitement about them. Both been sold this summer. So I think it's pretty clear Ted Hag is ruthless with with young players. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be good enough. Um, you know, it, it's probably good McTominay has stayed. I think you know, it would be fascinating to see what happened if there were injuries that built up um, amongst academy players. I mean, you've got Rashford and McTominay. And I think Garnacho counts as well, but... You know, United have obviously got this 4,200-plus game run of having an academy graduate in every squad. Feels like that's, I wouldn't say at risk under Ten Hag, but, you know, he's, he's sold so many and clearly demands such high standards that, like I say, there's only three in the squad there now. And McTominay, if... Does Tom Eaton count? Uh, yeah, Tom Eaton would count. Yeah, Tom Eaton would count. Um, you know, so I, I think they'll get through this season with it. Rashford and McTominay are going to be in the majority of squads uh, as is Garnacho, and I'm pretty sure he counts. Tom Eaton might be on the bench. Um, but, you know, it's it's one to keep an eye on the Ten Hag because you do wonder if all of those, in the very unlikely event all of those were injured, whether he would be bothered about it. I mean, I'm sure someone would have a word in his ear and just say, you need to put someone on the bench here. And, you know, I guess the thing to say with McTominay is he, he could have been sold this summer, but had he been sold, I think that would have only been if Kobe Mainu was fit and obviously Mainu counts. So, you know, I think that record is safe. But it's it's probably um, more unsafe than it has been for a long time, I would say, under Ten Hag, because he expects a lot from academy graduates. I think we've seen that over his two summers so far. That you know James Garner was was an indicator of what was to come. Really, that everyone expected him in the first team squad last year. Ten Hag took a lock and thought, no, not good enough. Um, sold, and that's happened quite a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward what happens. But with you know, with Rashford there for the long term now, with Kobe Mainu, that's probably two who are going to be in the first team squad. McTominay goes next summer, which I think there's probably an expectation he will now. Maybe Tom Eaton retires next summer. It does reduce it a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting to watch what's happening with the academy with Ten Hag because he he is clearly very demanding. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, I, was talk, I went to the Salford game last week and was talking to someone there about the other 21s because they're in the same EFL trophy group. And I think it's, could be a very young on the 21s team this year because a lot of the 20 year olds have, have, have gone. Yes, well, yes. And obviously, last night during the Arsenal game, just before I think the game finished, just before the Arsenal game, Man United's youth team were up 5 0 and then drew 5 5 to Sunderland. Yeah. So there's been some mad results there. They beat Stoke 10 1. The 20 under 21s beat Stoke 10 1 the other week. So yeah, there's some, uh, some interesting things going on at Academy 11 at the moment. And I mean, perhaps more interestingly, than the summer sales of the players that have stayed at the club rather than going out on loan or being sold. You know, we're still looking at Ahmad Diallo, Hannibal Mejbri. It looked like they could actually play a role this season. Fecundo Palistri is in that group as well. And then we've got players like uh, Donny van der Beek, who's stayed, Harry Maguire, who was free to go pretty much, Scott McTominay, where an offer was accepted from West Ham. There's a lot of players that haven't moved on that we may be expected to move on. Do you think any of them have really just pushing their luck still being on the books no, at United? I, don't think so. I think with McTominay and Maguire, I think it was always a case of it, it was kind of up to them to, to drive it. Obviously, United accepted the offer for Maguire. Um, 
but couldn't couldn't really agree agree terms on his exit. Um, McTominay, I think once Mania got injured, I think that was always pretty much a, a non a non starter for United. And then the others, um, but well, I mean, Bayi is one I would expect to go to Saudi Arabia or Turkey. Saudi Arabia window closes on the seventh of September. Turkish ones the fifteenth, I think. I would still expect him to go. Um, Donny van der Beek stayed, obviously. There is interest from Galatasaray in Van der Beek, and that could could happen before the fifteenth as well. So, you know, I think it's a chance both of those two go. I think United would clearly want Bay to go permanently. Van der Beek would would maybe be alone. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's still a chance that the the transfer activity isn't over yet, and those two could go. I mean, there was links to Luton for Donny van der Beek on deadline day, and reports that he turned that down. It's, it is a strange one, Donny van der Beek. You know, he was one of Ten Hag's favourites at Ajax. He came to Manchester United. Ajax were really like, oh, look after our Donny. And then he's just not really done anything at United. No, no has he? He's no, he hasn't. It's never a, really had a great no, game. And No, it's been a, dis- a disappointing one. Um, you know, it feels quite telling that, you know, we often joke on this podcast about Ten Hag signing former players and how much he loves to sign a former players. So... You know, Van der Beek must be miles out of it for, for Ten Hag not to, not to want him, um, given how much story he usually puts in that. And he's just, he's never really looked suited to the Premier League. It was an opportunistic signing for United because he was going to Real Madrid that summer and Real, Real backed out of it in the end and, and United pounced. It was the, the COVID window. I think it was October when he signed, maybe. Or that, that window that went on to October, anyway, to 2021. Um, but yeah, it's never really happened for him. I don't think he's he's anywhere near it really now with with the midfielders that have signed this summer. And I think he clearly needs to to go and go and play somewhere. And yeah, the Luton one was a strange one because I don't you know he, he might add a bit of quality to that Luton team, but I'm really not sure he's what they need. They're not going to have much of the ball this season. Um, and he's just it for 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 Everton and United. He's not really looked suited to the Premier League. I mean, Luton seems to have gone for a very similar transfer policy to Forest as when they came up get as many players in, some of them will work out. But Manchester United fans, that brings this episode of Manchester is Red podcast to an end. Thank you for listening. Tyrone, where can we find you on, on social medias? Uh, I'm on Twitter or X um, on ty, at TyMarshall underscore M-E-N. And make sure you check out the Manchester Evening News for all the best Manchester United coverage. I've been Sam Hutchison. Thank you. Until next time.